It's This Week in Sleaze with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. I don't really know how to introduce this one as I feel so out of my element, but... uh... That's, I guess, good. Uh, so I, I, I guess I got to start uh, with let's talk some fucking, I guess. <laughs> you can always say, like, let's talk some spiritual summoning. or <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk some uh, psychic uh, surgery. Let's talk some fox spirits. Let's talk uh, 50 elements crammed into the movies I'm going to introduce right now. And I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to get some mighty help for this episode by our esteemed guest because I saw an opportunity to shine a light on an unusual genre in Hong Kong which is the shockumentary and we'll be leaning on our esteemed guest heavily to provide the context maybe clarify what the heck the makers were intending but nonetheless this episode will feature coverage of the super normal films two of which were released uh, in 1992 and 1993 and the second this year, at the time of recording, 2018, the Supernormal Free. And I'm Sleazy K with me. Uh, perhaps uh, he is genre savvy, as a matter of fact, in terms of watching uh, other shockumentaries from uh, from around the globe. Is uh, first of all, the great Lord Joshua Regal. I mean, are you a fan of uh, Mondo Carne, things like that? Just uh, as a brief question at the top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to enough degree. Uh, you know, I've never been one of the people that, you know, look up like really death tapes and stuff like that like uh that was very popular when i was growing up but you know i've always been like haunted by like real visuals of like pain and suffering i don't usually go for that but the older stuff like the you know the mondo films like like the 60s the jacopetti films and stuff like that like uh, uh africa audio and stuff like that you know I, i've definitely been a fan of those in the past where it seemed like they were really capturing something, you know, something interesting and kind of shining a light on various cultures and everything for exploitative reasons, but still, you know, interesting to watch. All right. A little uh, little insight into uh, that, the fact that you are genre savvy, great Lord Joshua Regal. But our special guest is the the co-host of, of his own uh, podcast. I'm not even sure I'm allowed to say what podcast it is, so he's going to have to state this. But he's making his uh, This Week in Sleaze debut. Essentially, he is the co-producer of this episode, too. And he is none other than, and this is his code name for this show, The Canton Kid is with us, uh, with a particular set of uh, genre know-how and interests, uh, even if not sleazy. So, welcome, The Canton Kid, that no one knows who has listened to this network every now and again. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm honored and not worthy to be in the esteemed presence of uh, both of the hosts here. And it is uh, my first time. And you know what they say about first times? It's a first, right? So, I'm thrilled to be here. And yet we'll keep we're keeping this. They, they, despite this all sounding like we're, they're going to talk some massively messed up stuff, the supernormal movies, at least one and two, they're not category free. They feature graphic stuff, but uh, not enough to uh, to be free. But uh, I don't know. It's it's on the fringe stuff, as I'll explain a little a little bit that uh, makes it suitable for at least this show and not 
regular podcast on fire coverage uh, so we'll we'll get to it uh, i think there are some there are some interesting tidbits to be heard uh, so i'm gonna do a very brief uh, contact info section and this is this week in sleaze on the podcast on fire network uh, you'll find this back catalog of episodes on sleazy movies even hardcore pornography movies and uh, other fun stuff uh, from the great lord joshua regal and myself it's over at podcastonfire.com we also do bonus episodes every every now and again for our sins we, we the kind of bonus episodes we do we have done once include talking of a movie a second time because that's the creativity on display here we're not running out of movies it's just like wouldn't it be fun if we talked the movie a second time in in absolutely in 100% in because I'm I'm all about if great Lord Joshua Regal has an idea I'm all for um, celebrating that idea now talking about a movie three times four times five times maybe that's excessive but uh, off area he had some ideas of how to expand our redo uh, theme <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's our own joke and i and i guess that's enough isn't it joshua yes very that's good it. yeah it's come I, I think uh we we made some headway we we've, we've got something in the works you know possibly you know multimedia you know we're going to fucking okay, bomb, we're fucking it's in 1995 <laughs> like we, we we got some cd rom experiences planned for you <laughs> we, we <laughs> got some vcds lined up kids you know I'm encoding the QuickTime clips uh, as uh, as we talk as we talk right now. Real player for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the nineties fun. And anyway, right. Uh, let us know if uh, what you think of this week in Sleaze. Uh, you can uh, let us know on email podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on social media. We have a button to Facebook, to Twitter. We also have a button at the top of our website, of our website to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So if you want to subscribe, rate, and comment. Uh, Please do, in terms of iTunes, stream us on Stitcher Radio, uh, on the web, as well as on the app. And uh, we're one of the shows that uh, we we don't uh, put uh, our catalog behind the paywalls like big shows do. Like you, you have to pay for Stitcher Premium to get like uh, only uh, one or two year old episodes of certain podcasts, which I don't like at all. But uh, there it is. We won't do that, uh, at least not uh, at this point, if we get rich and famous doing this week in sleaze then yeah maybe maybe that's the model to follow but uh, at any rate not now it's all available for free and um i write about a variety of uh, category free movies over on my site so goodreviews.com and uh, that's uh, all i'm gonna say really uh, the canton kid should you plug the your regular podcast day job or not uh, I'm, I'm i'm letting you uh, dictate uh, the terms here <laughs> well let's just say i'm a big fan of this guy named kevin ma who uh, does a show over on a site i think it's called Concast or something like that and it's about eastern movies and western movies and some stuff in between so i'll leave it at that tv's kevin ma you say tv's kevin ma radio's kevin ma bbc's kevin ma kevin ma's everywhere i don't well uh, we'll link to that very oh, podcast ma. No ma. <laughs> uh, so let, let's get uh, let's get into it. I'm gonna play a short musical clip from one of the supernormal movies. The very uh, ominous music before the storytelling 
of the supernormal starts in those movies. Uh, there, there is some music amidst all the chatter in those movies. So we're going to play that for 30 seconds. And uh, after that, we'll be back to uh, provide some information, mainly by our esteemed uh, guests. So it's going to be fun to listen in on the context that uh, he can provide. So sit tight and uh, we'll be right back to do that very thing. And welcome back. And we're going to do free movies essentially, but the review format will be somewhat different. Uh, the one or two movies. Uh, that Joshua and I could watch because the third one has not been released on disc. They, they are so similar, so I think it's going to be a cluster of reviews, not cluster fucks of reviews, but a cluster of reviews <laughs> here. So uh, we, we're not going to uh, we, we're going to abandon the regular format ever so slightly because essentially we're talking documentaries here, and none of these were category free, but they they fall under the umbrella of questionable, exploitive to to a degree, cult on the fringe so i thought i'd place this special under the this weekend's list banner despite um, and uh, with this being different genre wise and how it's approaching creativity versus other hong kong productions uh, i think it's wise to also determine genre and uh, terms here to uh, uh, to fuel the discussion so if we go around the room a little bit in your view uh, does the supernatural movies count as documentary or fake documentary or is it a mix of both because the host edward lee and crew you know there doesn't seem that they're open with what they're doing and uh what footage is staged and so forth so if we go to you the canton kid uh in in, in your in terms of your interest in you know in your view what, what what is the genre we're dealing with here yeah i think it's a bit of a you know what i like to have called a shockumentary style of filmmaking and you know you'll think you'll talk a little bit more about the mondo films and those types of films going forward there's definitely a documentary style element that you can glean from these films and for me that's when they work best but there's a lot of staging there's a lot of use of uh, camera techniques and really bad sound effects in places to try and evoke a certain response from the audience. And I think by today's standards, they certainly don't work. But one of the things that remains consistent throughout these films and e even into the most recent version is that the techniques don't really change. The, the approach to filmmaking, and even though directorially the first and second film are done by different directors and the third film is done by Edward Lee himself he takes on the directorship the format the the approach to the actual style of filmmaking the use of narration all that remains the same so if we expand a little bit on if you like Joshua what you were saying at the beginning viewing this and knowing uh, you know some memories of the past of watching the movies you mentioned would you also consider this as shockumentary regardless of what you think of the techniques used here Sure, shockumentary in the, the same way that like uh, the original Faces of Death was, you know, whereas you watch that and 
you know, interspersed with like clips that are obviously part of reality. There's also a lot of like faked stuff and a lot of like very obvious, you know, we're on a stage and we're, you know, shooting a production. We have sound effects you know, everything's very much in the vein of a film, but we're trying to pass it off as reality. With these, I had trouble, you know, determining what's real, what's fake, especially like, you know, there's a lot of cultural stuff in here. It's like, I don't know exactly what it is uh, a known, you know, quote unquote ghost story and what is bullshit possibly created by the producers. You know, it's kind of hard to tell at times and, you know, who's a plant, who's a, a real person telling a story versus somebody who's fed a script. But uh, regardless, you know, kind of the point is made, I guess. I don't know if it can fall under the, the term or umbrella Mondo documentary as well with its emphasis on a little bit of taboo subjects, I suppose, sensational topics, uh, because there are scenes and situations depicted here that um, are a bit sensational in nature, maybe questionable too. And uh, the question of stage or not stage comes up uh, because they're not always uh, upfront with that. Obviously, sometimes they say, here's a dramatic reenactment, and obviously now it looks like a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that they're open with. I mean, for the likes of Faces of Death, which I've never seen and never really had an interest in. But, uh, but I think they were always going for, yeah, we're going to sell it as 100% real. Yeah, this is real. But I, I don't know if it was pathetic from the beginning, if it was like, how could anyone fall for that in the 70s and 80s? Or was it always doubtful, you think, if you think back on Faces of Death? Oh, shit, yeah. Like, uh, Faces of Death, I remember, like, one of my, you know, this tells a lot about the way I was raised in my family, but I remember being, like, four years old and uh, everyone crowding around in the living room watching Faces of Death. I think one or two, I can't remember. Family or friends? My family. <laughs> <laughs> Hey kids, gather around. <laughs> TV dinner, and uh, we're now ready for tonight's entertainment. I was watching RoboCop and shit like that. Things I shouldn't have been watching at like four or five years old. But, you know, and I was like, you guys, this is gross. I'm not, not watching this. I was like very upset with my family that they were watching it. <laughs> the guardian of morals at that age. Where did that Joshua go? <laughs> <laughs> but everybody in my family, you know, to this day, you know, they still believe that that bear really ate that guy and that they really ate monkey brains and uh wherever it was Kuala Lumpur or what have you you know even though it was obviously like a fake the fakest monkey head you ever seen but yeah they they believed it just because you know I mean you show some my clips that they know are real and you follow it up with something that has a handheld you know look to it and you know the average person who doesn't you know take note of a lot of the things that you know we might pick up on as being uh you know obviously well thought out and uh you know edited in a certain way they don't look at that stuff so yeah they just fall right for it even leading up to end of the 90s uh, if you use the technique well i mean it's a poor example but you know how how they sold the blair witch was uh, convincing it really was it was clever even though even if you knew it was fiction which i did i was still into it which means that it's gonna fool not other ignorant people i'm not saying that but it's gonna fool people into thinking that it's so visceral it's so in your face it's so real uh, real real seemingly real that it's gonna create doubts and maybe faces of death watching it in you know grainy low quality footage on on tv and video or whatever that adds to, I think, uh, the convincing nature of it. If it's a 
not pristine quality and uh, mm-hmm. and especially if you're not uh, constantly exposed to uh, to this via late night documentary showing messed up footage from around the world or whatever i think still faces of death wasn't the 20th of its kind that month i i do remember you uh you i'm always uh, tempted to say your name and i'm not gonna but you the canton kid i know every now and again you bring up the um the 1976 Mondo documentary Shock in Asia, either because you know of it or either because you have watched it. Uh, I read it up a little bit about it. Uh, it's sold as a spellbinding chronicle of rituals, practices, and perversions from the Far East. That, that's on one of the posters or cover arts. So I always gathered you had or have an interest in both this genre of uh, documentary filmmaking, real or not. So, but, but going back to Shock in Asia, did you ever watch it or is it not something you merely know of and like knowing of because it's it's set in the far east according to the blurb no yeah i've seen it uh the first one a few times at least um the second one and third one i've seen and they're more of the same they're not quite as uh, interesting for for me as as the first one is i would say i'm not a i mean i for the kind of films that they are the the so-called mondo genre itself the genre itself doesn't appeal to me as much as the fact that those particular films were set in Asia. That's what interested me. That's what drew me to them. I was never a big, um, you know, fan of the stuff like I didn't seek out the Faces of Death movies or other stuff along those lines. Uh, but Shocking Asia, because of my interest in Asia, uh, initially pulled me in. And again, sort of the documentary style that it's going for, but also sort of being on the exploitive side, always fascinated me for some reason. Um, and like with these, I think those, there are things that you can glean from them. There are other things that are just kind of wild and out there. And then there's things that it's just like, I, am I really going to watch this? You know, that are all kind of packed within in no certain particular order. And I think part of my fascination with that comes from when I was a kid watching stuff on TV like there was a series called uh, In Search Of, which was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. And it was all about like, you know, investigations into UFOs and the paranormal. And it was pseudo scientific, I would say. It wasn't like you know, uh, hard science. And you still get stuff like this today on like History Channel and and things. But as a kid, you know, you mentioned UFOs or you mentioned ghosts or the paranormal and stuff, and, and that just piqued my interest for some reason. So by extension, when my interest in Asia really started to pan out, the Shocking Asia series, you know, it was, it was like honey to me. And so I was automatically drawn to it. Um, and so stuff that falls along these lines, um, I think you've mentioned a couple of the titles, but not just the supernormal, but, you know, things that go into different areas. Uh, I think I'm thinking like uh, Under the Rose and uh, Key, you know, is it Key to Fortune, I think is another one mm-hmm. uh, along those lines, you know, that are specific to Hong Kong. I really dig those as well, even though I'm not super into the genre of things that they're actually talking about. So. Was uh, Shock in Asia this like hard-hitting, accurate, nuanced depiction of, or, or was it like a mix of just shocking for the sake of shocking, or whether and, and and like stage stuff that they were claiming were real but was clearly fake, akin to faces of death? Or what was their sort of uh, thesis going in, if you will? For the, for much of Shocking Asia, 
especially the first one, it is simply going to different parts of Asia and highlighting the exotic, the exotic other, as, as it were. So there's a trip to Japan and they go to a sex museum, for example. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a museum that's dedicated to, to sex. And there's, you know, kids walking through there with their parents and it's, you know, they, the narrator kind of makes note of that. And again, focus on the exploitative side of it, but there's a different approach to it. Um, and that's something that happens in the Supernormal series. I'll talk a little bit later in the third one, uh, particularly. You know, that that's still there today. Um, it's still kind of utilized as a point of fascination. They do, you know, they do, uh, I forget the ritual, but um, I think it happens in Malaysia where there's a possession that takes place and the priests being possessed will pierce their body, you know, so they focus on that. Um, I think the one thing that for people who've seen Shocking Asia... The first one um, always comes to mind is that they actually show a uh, sex change surgery uh, taking place where a I think a care a person from Thailand is being is undergoing sex transformation from male to female. And so they actually show the surgical procedure and it's very graphic. And, you know, it's one of those moments where they're like, okay, they're really kind of showing this. So it's exploitive, at the, but at the same time, you know, they have, this, this is part of the culture now. You can turn on, you know, Discovery Channel and, you know, or the, the Science Channel and they show open heart surgeries and other kinds of surgeries. So, uh, you know, sex surgery, that's another kind of procedure that's done. Um, I don't, I mean, there may have been some things that were staged, but nothing really springs to mind. Again, it was more like, we're going on tour around Asia. Here's our camera, and here's stuff. You know, here's stuff that you, as a Westerner, are going to find extremely exotic. You know, that was the kind of approach they took for it. And then promotion did its thing and amped it up. It sounds like you know, perversions of the Far East and things like yes. that. So okay, um, seeing those at any time, Joshua, Shock in Asia. I I have not, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny, like. Uh, I was just thinking, like, you know, I mentioned like Africa Audio earlier uh, and something like that. It is like the 60s and the 70s. It seems like these Mondo films and stuff like that were more of, you know, going out, having a theme, uh, shooting on location, different areas, trying to capture this, you know, real life things. And like Africa Audio, they go and it's in the midst of a... a I forget exactly what was going on within Africa at the time, but basically it was just a bloodbath, you know, tribes and people killing each other left and right, and the filmmakers just happened to be caught in the middle of it, showing up in towns with dead bodies strewn everywhere, and, like, I think there might have been an execution or two in the film. Just, you know, kind of like filmmakers being, I hate to say the right place at the right time, but basically, you know, legitimately capturing something, whereas later on, the sex change thing, like Traces of Death 1 and 2, I think both featured, you know, full-on sex change operations. And, like, it, it, after Faces of Death, like, if you if you even count that as part of, like, the Mondo genre, it just gets lazier and lazier and just reliant on, like, stock footage and things like that. And, like, when the 90s came along, that's all it was. And I remember one of the uh, reading about, like, one of the cases of someone you know, entering into the UK and actually being arrested for having, don't know if it was video nasties or what have you, but one of them I remember 
the name of it was uh, child brain surgeries. <laughs> like it was just a collection on front street of brain surgeries on on children. And I, I remember actually seeing that in uh, either like Blackest Heart Media back in the day, or uh, what was it Video Search of Miami, one of those catalogs of crazy things and just seeing that like who the fuck wants like just a tape full of that you know but yeah i don't know i just think that's funny how it's almost like porn like the, you know in the 70s they're all shooting on film and 80s the videotape comes along and it just gets progressively lazier as it goes along yeah you can quickly assemble things i suppose uh, to shoot out onto a market that uh, demands it to and enough degree about making money yes yeah, sir but but within hong kong can you you mentioned an example uh, and me and joshua have, have covered some of these but can can you think of any other tradition at least around the time of supernormal or even before or slightly after where they did these kind of fake documentaries outside of the supernormal and also the charlie cho and james wong hosted category three sex documentaries you know jiggly revelation key to fortune that you know they 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 centered around sex and sex practices uh sex workers they had staged sequences um and, and not too bad in terms of staged sequences where they blurred out faces or whatever whatever but, but they had a general light tone so can, can you think of any other example of uh this uh other than the supernormal and these uh these examples or do we have to fast forward to uh, the new millennium to find this again there is one film that's out there that i actually have but i can't watch because i have it on laserdisc <laughs> and it, it's called give me, uh, give me, give me. <laughs> it's called uh lucky way it's also the same year as this 1992 and um it looks like it's pretty much uh the same kind of thing it's like from what i can glean off hong kong movie database just based on the cast there's a sifu i think his name is Lam lam guac hong who i don't know who he is, but it's his only credit. But then there's a list of people like uh, Amy Yip, uh, Jet Li, Su Yam Yam, um, Charlie Cho, who are all there in the cast list. I guess they're there as themselves. I don't know if they're interviewed or they're talked about and they're using stock footage, you know, talking about their fortunes or things like this. It uh, has the the videotape has a big uh, category three symbol on it but i don't know if the film itself is category three because it's not it's not uh rated that i'm looking at the videotape cover um the the laser disc has a very kind of different cover to it so i'm not again unfortunately until i get access to a new machine i have no way of watching it Um, but this does seem like it's something along that same line you know there are many other masters out there like uh, Edward Lee, who their normal mode of operation is to write, you know, yearly books of fortune telling and and things of that nature. He was, I guess, because of his background, his connections um, with press and with media and some of the jobs he did uh, after he graduated, he was able to kind of work into getting films getting in films the, these kinds of films and i think that helped to build a reputation for him and do we, we'll certainly expand on edward lee but uh, uh just an aside uh, do some goddamn thrifting for heaven's sake do you have a goodwill around your area look for <laughs> go, go to the electronic section and score a laser player. yes it is it is on the agenda to be done i know you have a kid and all but come on 
<laughs> and they're, they're, they're cheap enough to get uh, nowadays. I, I can swear I have like a uh, uh, like an MPEG rip of Lucky Way on one of my hard drives, but I've never watched it because I uh, I, I simply didn't know what I downloaded. I just got a chunk. That's, that's how I work. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but if we fast forward then, because um, my awareness of uh, Hong Kong doing these... Uh, you know, I didn't know if there were, they were found footage or if there were fake documentaries, but I came, uh, I became aware of uh, titles, even though I didn't pursue them via you, via uh, one of my friends, uh, Hong Kong Dave, uh, because he, he was interested in a couple of movies. So let's simply fast forward to what, what titles would you like to highlight that were made in the sort of same manner, if not uh, exactly the same template as... The supernormal because um, there, there, are, there are some things that uh, in 2009 and as late as 2014 so well, what else is there to say in terms of legacy of the supernormal if there is one so you do have some what i would consider the the grandchildren of of, of this kind of thing uh with the a series called the unbelievable from the first one in 2009 and then they released a sequel in 2014 and that is featuring uh, Master Sito, who, again, another sort of feng shui master slash spiritualist. He came, became sort of a semi-celebrity, and I think they were having him on TV a lot and doing commercial spots for things. He was the celebrity guest for the Ocean Park Halloween event um, the same year that the first Unbelievable film came out. If you, and those films are still pre- pretty readily available. Um, I would not recommend them except to anybody who finds a credible amount of fun in something like The Supernormal. Because it is, it is again, the same. It is them ghost-busting, going to different sites, finding things that they claim are there, which you as an audience are left to kind of scratch your head about. Some things like possessions, which you're never too sure are they staged or... What what's really going on? A lot of the from the unbelievable. It was around the time of the um, big tsunami that they had in Asia, so they do have stock footage of you know uh, lots of bodies in the water oh, and hell no. things like that. So there's an exploitative side to it as well. Um, and again, they tie this into um, part of the reason. They, so they go to Thailand and they're talking about uh, you know the amount of spirits that are now generated because of the disaster and, and, and things like that. They try to work into it. There's a couple other, as I recall, a couple other news events that happened and they, they tap into those as well. Uh, murders and things happening at temples and things. I mean, granted, that might be news footage. So I'm not blaming them but, uh, because may, maybe that was simply shown on the news. So. Yeah, it was very grainy, but it was, it, was, it was still an editorial choice to grab that and to use it. It's not like they did a uh, Lan Kwai Fong swingers on us, if you remember, Joshua, how they exploited uh, the stampede in Lan Kwai Fong and made a move, <laughs> made a movie about it and then makes new <laughs> news footage. So, I mean, it's, it, it, that, that's probably the lowest of the low. And uh, we're not approaching that. Uh, these are not uh, narrative features, either, as, um, as we understand by now, listeners. So you got to differentiate between uh, heinous, the level of heinous, I suppose. There's a second series too. It's it's more the same. It's called The Cases with a different master, and it is um, in terms of technical quality, it's below the unbelievable, if, if that's possible. <laughs> Ouch. And and here too, I mean, uh, there were 
I think some of these had web shows and, and radio show spinoffs where, again, a lot of talking about ghost stories. And this was nothing entirely new. I mean, you know, people like, I want to say, uh, Simon Louie, who, you know, famous from the Troublesome Night series and directing and acting and stuff. I think he was doing like a call-in ghost show for a while. Everybody knows Law Lan, of course, the great Law Lan, who's been in so many movies over the years, but she's kind of been also typecast for the ghostly granny in a lot of films where they simply like, you know, shine a light on her, green light on her, and, and she does this kind of ghostly voice. It's good to be an actor. Well, it's so funny, too, because she is a super devout Christian, and she doesn't believe in any of it, but it pays the bills, oh, right? She's a um, smart lady, damn it. <laughs> yes, and um, they the, the last thing she did that I saw her in that was somewhat relative, well, she's done a couple of movies, but she had a TVB. She was on, like, this half-hour TVB show, which was kind of like a, you know, telling about famous ghost stories in Hong Kong and, and places, and she sat in this big, like, Game of Thrones-style chair, but imagine it was designed for Halloween instead of Game of Thrones, and she just sat there in this voice, and, and she did the ghostly granny voice as, the, as like, the introducer to the show and everything. It's really fun and, and funny, and it's interesting to see her do that and know that, you know, in reality, she's a very different, you know, person, a very sweet person, and, and somebody who just doesn't buy into all of this, but she pays the bills with it. So these various masters, some of them get reputations that are not on the up and up, and one of the most famous examples was this uh, feng shui master, Tony Chan, who got embroiled with Nina Wang. A lot of people may not know who she is, but she was like this very eccentric um, millionaire, billionaire lady, in, and she owned a couple movie theaters in Hong Kong, and she was supportive of, of the arts and, and cinema. And anyway, there was a big thing with her will and her estate being left to this feng shui master who she had an affair with. And it was all big, you know, tabloid press. But a lot of people, again, point to the these masters kind of in the same way that we have TV evangelists here in the States. And there's a lot of scrutiny and question as to their legitimacy and if they're really in it for the money and, and stuff like that. And I make no assertions one way or the other. I just am here to relay some of the information. I remember the name Nina Wang in that story ever, so it, it's deeply buried somewhere. So maybe you guys brought it up because did, did, did she pass away by any chance a year or two ago? Yeah, she's she's passed away, and and what's happened is that her millions, uh, you know, the millions in her billions in her estate, apparently she had left a will that said it all goes to her boyfriend slash feng shui master, Tony Chan, and that will has been contested. And oh, yeah. so she owned uh, and established quite a few of the older movie theaters in Hong Kong. and The dynasty? Not the dynasty, <laughs> um, but a couple others. And uh, they've closed down, unfortunately, You know, as her estate has started to be shifted around. And, and I don't know if it's being liquidated or, or you know being reacquisitioned. But... Um, yeah, she you'd recognize her immediately because she was one of the she wasn't really elderly, but she always wore her hair in like these girly style pigtails, and for as an older woman, that you know gives a very kind of distinctive look. And she always dressed kind of as a girly girl, um, despite being 
you know older yeah as a little sidetrack i mean you, you I'm, I'm i'm sure you remember this joshua and i'm sure i caught this on satellite tv when that was a thing over here but these tele telepriests uh, televangelists uh, was that ever a fascination for you joshua watching that knowing that these are a sham clearly but this is such a show or a shit show that you can't take your eyes away from it because it's so it, it's so elaborate and if you and, and the enthusiastic audiences are or eating it up so was that ever an interesting thing for you because i'm sure that was daytime tv stuff you could catch oh my god well there's a, there's there's a whole channel dedicated to it uh tbn trinity broadcasting network uh also my family you know when they're not watching the, the, the faces uh, of their family <laughs> faces of death films they're watching continuous uh tv preachers among my favorites would be uh uh, oh God! What is his name? The one that uh, uh, they made the farting preacher out of. You know what I'm talking about? Did you ever see that skit? It was. Uh, oh, I wish I could remember his name. Oh, uh, Robert Tilton. <clears throat> Somebody took uh, Robert Tilton, like his old videos, and it's just one of these preachers. You know, he'd sit there and he would. Uh, he'd be going, "Okay, well, there's there's somebody." out in Wyoming right now. And he'd, he'd close his eyes the whole time because he's very intense with it, you know? He's doing his psychic preaching and and, and, and they don't know how, how they're going to get through the next month. You know, and the Lord is telling me you need to send in $500. That $500 is seed money. That is going to, it's going to come back to you tenfold, brother. Like while he's doing all these, you know, grunts and like closing his eyes and stuff like that as he's, you know, psychically communicating with God. Piece of my would put in fart noises, so uh, it's like a three minute clip of like him. Hold on, hold on, and like just you know, somebody did that. And uh, anyway, he ended up getting busted. I forget how he got busted, but years later, uh, he was on. <laughs> he'd come on BET Black Entertainment Television at like three in the morning, and uh, I remember uh, Uncle and uh, my stuff we'd sit there and like watch him because we, we'd laugh at it we'd, he was so f- obvious you know where some of them like to hide it a little bit he, he's just so full of bullshit it was like that old suicidal tendencies song uh what was it send me your money or whatever and then they had that tv preacher like voice that guys in it going uh yeah i'll take i'll take we take checks we take cash i'll even take your grandmama's gold teeth <laughs> and uh just always reminded me of tilton so yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, TV preachers and televangelists and that whole scene. You know? And I, I do, I do consider myself a Christian, but uh, I don't believe any of them that are on television. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit, but uh, in terms of well, let's make fun of this. But uh, it, it is a it is a show that uh, you can be fascinated watching. You know, uh, a train wreck, and no one else seems to notice that that is a believer in it. Benny Hinn's pretty pretty good too. Like if you ever, he's the guy that like the uh, Indian gentleman that like runs around hitting people with his coat, and knocking them out because he has the power of Jesus in his coat. He just waves his hand at people, and he'll have like fifteen people surround him on stage, and he just waves his hand, and they all fall down at the same time. Very, very similar to what we see at the end of uh, Supernormal too. Yeah, I was about to say this isn't as um, disconnected from uh, from the second entry as uh, you might think, listeners, uh, but. Uh, Watching these uh, 
is there a historical and cultural well to tap here by crafting a documentary like this do you think because you know i'm I'm really on the outside here that's why these are quite hard to grasp not only are they poorly translated but they're hard to grasp in general because i'm I'm, i don't know these things but do you think there was a good idea for edward lee and company to explore this was it timely too because the movie actually made somewhere around 11 million hong kong dollars at the time of release so do you think uh on the surface, conceptually, the supernormal is actually sound, so to say? I think so. I think that there's definitely an undercurrent that even is around today of, you know, belief in in many of these mythological ideas. Um, and I don't knock anyone for believing in that or I don't want I don't want to come across as discounting that um, it is it is something that is there as part of the daily life of, you know, people in Hong Kong and in Taiwan, you whether it's a small shrine to a spirit that's, you know, sitting on a tree or it's something that you maybe encounter in a restaurant or, you know, even just people talking about, you know, the, the, the standard ideas of some strange happening, you know, and those things that I think film goers would be familiar with from if you watch something like the Troublesome Night series, right? The idea of, you know, the taxi driver and the woman dressed in red or those those things come from somewhere. And it's sort of this this underlying idea that goes behind the foundations of, I think, Chinese popular religion and the facts that you have, you know, temples and all over the place. And you have people talking about different aspects of spirits and spirituality and the, the different levels of of um existence when it comes to things like Buddhism and and things like that. So that's something that is, even if for people who don't necessarily believe it, it's something that they understand. It's a language that they understand. So for them to see something like this, you know, it's not, it's not like it's blasphemous or it's something, it's very much part of their culture. So I think it's easy, easy to accept, even if there's not a high degree of belief. And there, there's a point that we'll come back to, too, when we talk about Edward Lee, too, about the belief in what's being done here, um, because I found some, some interesting points that kind of contradict uh, some of the things we see on screen. Let's break it down, really, in terms of its host and its driving force, Edward Lee, uh, because, as you said, he popped up again with Supernormal 3 this year at the time of recording 2018 and uh, directed it himself. Uh, this time, there, there's another director for uh, the same director for Supernova 1 and 2. So what is there, in essence, to say about his background, uh, his cultural and, and media presence, uh, etc.? You, you've hinted at it, of course, but uh, what is there to fill in about Edward Lee? Yeah, so he came out of school, um, I think, in, like a communications-style major at the time, and he had uh, went to school with a couple people who ended up became, becoming prominent in the industry, um, one was uh, an actress. Some people might know Cecilia Wong, House, Wong Hong Sao, uh, who's who's you know done some work out there. She's not a a super top name, but uh, somebody that you can look up. And I think he's got credits in writing on a couple of films that people will recognize. Interestingly enough, those films often have spiritual aspects to them in some way, shape, or form. So I think he might have been brought on a role to sort of flesh out those aspects in some cases. He moved over to Chinese astrology, uh, feng shui, numerology, this kind of thing, 
Um, he's an educator on Buddhism as well. And you can kind of see part of that in these films that there, there is kind of an educational aspect to it when he's visiting v different temples and he's talking about uh, aspects of Buddhism. And especially at the end, he often ends with a message of well-being and a Buddhist sutra or chant um, that, you know, sort of closes out the movie. Uh, he's written many books over the years um, on, you know, feng shui type subjects. But he's also, as I understand it, he's penned uh, some Cantonese operas. He owns the Sunbeam Theater, which is the theater that I actually watched the third Supernormal film at. And it's still running today, even though it, you know, opened back in February of this year. Uh, because it can, <laughs> because it's his theater. And it is really, I mean, it's all decked out with pictures of him from the poster holding the camera all over the pillars, over everything. Um, it was an interesting sight to see. It was the first time I'd watched a, a film there. I think I'd been there for um, a long time ago for uh, an opera performance once. Yeah, it's and a lot of his books and paraphernalia are there for sale as well. So I guess that's a testament in some ways to his success in the things that he's doing outside of, you know, the occasional supernormal film that he's done. In terms of, uh, you know, were you able to sort of uh, pick up on or do you know anything in terms of uh, how the supernormal came together? Because, um, you know, it's so very unusual and it seems like he's the one that decided that this needed to be upgraded to film as well, to be exposed in a greater way. I, I read one account that said that actually... One of the things is that he doesn't really believe in this stuff, um, you know, the, the fox spirits and the ghosts, but it was kind of a task, a job that he was given at the time. And he thought that by doing it the way they did it, that people would be skeptical, you know, so almost not really a spoof, but kind of, you know, more of a. Uh, I forget that there, there's a famous guy, Randy, Rand, the amazing Randy, I think. Who goes around yeah, and he, de he debunks magicians and and spiritualists and things, and from his statement, it sounds like that was maybe the intent, but I don't get that feeling. No, from watching the film, so I don't. It's hard no. to say, especially with the later generation of feng shui masters. There's a sense that they use celebrity to their advantage, and certainly these films were you know, enough to push him into the public eye to where he made enough money to actually buy and own a movie theater and, you know, a, a stage for doing the kind of work he wants to do, which is fine. I don't begrudge him for that. And, you know, film fans will certainly find this true of some of the other celebrity feng shui masters who are out there today. In the mid-2000s, it was Master So, So Man Feng, who's got the really long hair, and he's been in a couple movies, I think, um... Uh, My Lucky Star was one he had a pretty big presence in. I think he was in My Wife, the My Wife is 18 film, maybe. And, you know, this is one of the things that some of them do. They become sort of the spiritual guides for celebrities, and then they find their way into a cameo in a film, and they make a name for themselves, and it's it's a cycle, right? Um, the, the most current one is um, Mac Ling Ling, a female feng shui master who's in a lot of productions today, oftentimes with not just cameo roles, but major speaking roles. The one that comes to mind most recently is Lucky Fat Man with uh, Bob Lamb, who again appears in Supernormal 3, which uh, I'll talk about later. 
And again, it's it's this idea that they have a day job, but being a celebrity, being given roles in movies that don't have a lot to do with their day job increases their exposure, increases their status, and maybe makes their books fly off the shelves that much faster. It doesn't sound like they're the worst kind of exploitation type of trashy people necessarily, because they're, what they're promoting isn't necessarily vile. You know, it, it's their it, it's belief, whether it's their belief or not, or just there to sell books. But at least it isn't vile what they're doing here, and it doesn't sound like they're trying to corrupt their audiences uh, and uh, squeeze them out of money akin to the uh, to to the TV priests and all of that that we talked of. So at the very least, it seems like a a living, and it's not illegal what they're doing, seemingly, even though I'm sure reputation varies in terms of. Uh, like with anything in terms of uh, what people think of uh, these people and uh, that they're appearing on TV and in media all the time maybe people are just tired of them like again I just tuned in to to see some you know late night entertainment and this guy's on again um, but um, you know you, you you never got that impression that they're, they're a, a stench <laughs> or, or a smelly stench on, on the entertainment scene they're, they're part of the entertainment scene these people simply yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with them if they're entertaining and and they they pop into stuff. I mean, and if you go to Hong Kong, you can go to certain districts and sit down and pay somebody, you know, Hong Kong twenty or thirty dollars to read your face or to read your palm or to check your name or your numbers, just like these, you know, celebrity masters do. They just do it for ten, twenty, thirty times the scale with. Uh, big name celebrities why why some are in one position versus the other you know is anybody's guess fortune from above or who you know rather than what you know i don't know if we sort of transition into talking of uh, both of these movies at the same time kind of because really they, they aren't that different from each other obviously uh, it, it's they're made a year apart they're different productions clearly but uh, they are really the same type of movie there's no thread that's in them that makes one seem totally unique and the other is totally different from it so you know uh you 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 guys have the freedom to sort of jump back and forth if, if you like but my review notes they're, they're gonna be quite uh i'm gonna appear more brain dead than i usually appear on this show which uh <laughs> you know was it is it possible well yeah kind of is because the, <laughs> the supernormal it's if i were to give a quick opinion it's messy it's crammed with info and content, and some of which is lost in translation due to lack of my knowledge, some through some god-awful subtitles. Holy hell, is this movie <laughs> poorly translated. Uh, but in all honesty, I don't know what you guys think, and maybe we can do short opinions, of course, but this feels too anxious to get all knowledge out in one go. All I've gathered is going to go into this movie, rather than like a couple of subjects and then explore them with depth for 90 minutes. This is just this, this, and this. You get this, and you get this. You get oh, yeah. more than you've ever asked for in your life in two movies to boot. Uh, so I, I think it's um, <laughs> it, it has interesting topics and subjects, and every now and again it spikes in terms of, oh my, I like how it's conveyed, captured, but it, it's messy, and that's why I needed the Canton kid here to make sense of all of this. So, so let, let's actually go around the room to, uh, for, for an actual brief opinion. So in terms of that, Joshua, what did you get out of it in terms of positives and negatives? If you just uh, do a quick one, quick bite. 
what did I get out of it? Uh, Fox Wolf Spirits are interesting and can take control of your body, I think, maybe. I, I don't know. Everything takes <laughs> control of everybody's body. I'm scared. I, I, <laughs> like you said, it's a lot, and it probably would help like knowing more about uh, the different cultural aspects. You know, my knowledge of even Buddhism could probably fit inside of a thimble. All these various different spirits, fairies, ghosts, demons, you know, it, it's it's a lot to take in. And by the time you start to think that you're kind of wrapping your head around what situation is happening due to the poor subtitles, you're already in somebody else's home discussing some other ghost and, you know, linked to a tunnel, linked to a house. And then there's all these lights. And it gets very confusing at times. Interesting. Yeah, you, you'd wish that... Um was a bit more coherent subtitle wise subtitle wise but but also that it uh, picked uh, a different pace to deliver it uh, because uh, edward is a motor mouth of a narrator and uh, may, maybe again i don't know this guy i don't know the language so and uh, it's also outside of my knowledge a lot of these things but it seems like and maybe you can offer your perspective on this is he is he um, is he too anxious is it too much in one go uh, w- would it have benefited to focus on a couple of subjects only for 90 minutes of documentary stuff. Uh, yeah, indeed. I think it's it's just a, a constructive mess, and it continues to be that way through all three films. Wow. The, 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 the thing that happens here is there's a pattern. The pattern is like this. Here's something interesting, like an old tree that looks like a fox. Let's go investigate. We've got our cameraman on the scene. Now we're going to interview somebody, and you're going to hear them talk for five seconds, and then I'm going to narrate yes, everything from there on out. my note as well. <laughs> like, holy hell, like, how can we believe you when you are telling the story for yes. the lady or the man? <laughs> you, never, you never get to hear the people he interviews speak for really more than five to ten seconds, and it's so What Paul is saying here so is annoying. that uh, he's actually, <laughs> like, if I were to do that over you right now, like to lower your volume... And then talk over you and bring my interpretation of it, right? <laughs> I mean, he never stops. Yeah. He never stops doing that either. It's the same in the second one. And uh, I, I don't know. He, is it a language barrier? You think, or is this? Do you think this is uh, too messy for local audiences as well? Granted, they went to see this, but uh, I think it's fine. I for a local audience, I think it's just it comes across to me as a little bit egocentric. That it's like, well, they want to hear my voice. They want to hear rather than you know, hear the person we're interviewing, they, they, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's translating, I'm the one who's interpreting what all of this means. So it's important for me and my narration to sort of pick up the pace. Again, if you are somebody who's really interested in, in this, you're interested in kind of the locations they're going and a little bit of the historical background that's being presented, you can pick those pieces out, but it's not an easy process you know you, you you've got to like it enough to want to be patient with it and i think for a lot of people out there they're not going to want to be patient with this um so it's not something that's going to be to everyone's taste i wanted to be patient with it because some of the stories were interesting like, like the one you were talking of joshua you know the various fox goblins or fox fairy stories including the one that's where, where there is a pattern in a tree that looks like a fox and people living in that area or in that building all have ailments or have died and they seem to stay on that for a little while to expand on it seems good 
and now we're done with that. And then I'm lost in terms of context for for several stories that follows, right? Because he doesn't stay on a track that, in, in my eyes and to my ears, is akin to a focused one. Because there, you know, regard. I'm, I'm also neutral in that way. Like I, I don't know if these people, if there is something in the air, so to say, in terms of why they all have ailments and why they're all died died, and if there is traces of a fox goblin or spirit in that area i don't know it was interesting if they stayed on stuff for five ten minutes there's also if you flip that sometimes when they stay on a topic and i think it happens in the second movie regardless of that topic was because there, there's 500 topics here when, when they stay on it and tell us all about it it's that um, rapid narration and rapid delivery of information that just gets lost because it's rapid and also the subtitles even in the second one is uh, while better isn't all that great so i, I think you have this uh, coherency problem in terms of uh, at least they're traveling to the west uh, as you said for a local audience they might be familiar enough or interested in enough where this dump of uh, information is uh, easily absorbed you know and, and the topic is uh, fascinating but but I think that the, the sort of so to say storytelling technique is uh, a problem within this, even when it actually seems interesting and even when it's uh, eerie to a degree uh, and all of that. Oh, I was just going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if that technique is just there to as a way to you know write the narrative. You know, if these are legitimate interviews that aren't scripted, which at times was difficult for me to pin down. Because everything looks so uh, like you know, like it's done in a film quality, or at least attempts to be. But you know, if these are legitimate interviews, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just there for the narrative. You know, to be able to say, this is what they told me, even though it's not really what they probably said. You know, because I think about the moment in the film where it's like, in the second film, you know, because they live next to this graveyard, people are scared of knocking especially at night and then it shows them knock on the door and this old lady just answers the door immediately like oh Damn okay it. well they're not that scared of it obviously uh, do it again <laughs> let's see if we can you know knock a couple times before she comes to the door at least anyway yeah and and also they they obviously stage uh the the, the sort of the the hosting sections are obviously staged in, in a very familiar man, uh, manner where hosts walk on like uh, like hi edward how you doing what do you know about these things? Well, let me tell you. But that is not uh, something yeah, that's uh, bothersome, of course. Uh, that, that's uh, part of the structure. I actually thought the, 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 the section we actually do focus on here in the first movie with uh, when they're interviewing um, uh, one person, uh, an old man, about uh, about this uh, fox goblin and people who have ailments in the area. I might have misunderstood this, and there, there's plenty of reasons to think why. Because, one... Mr. Dum Dum here to the subtitles. Uh, they they say, well, we're gonna set up hidden cameras uh, in the van here, and then we're gonna go <laughs> in. But the interview is shot not from the van, but actually right there. No. They have a cameraman interviewing the guy uh, and Hel- Helen, our co-host. So th- that's hardly hidden. But again, I might have misunderstood that completely. You know, they said that, and then it went to like that section, and uh, <laughs> for a while there, I completely forgot about them saying that there was gonna be hidden cameras so yeah i was pretty confused by that bit too i kept waiting for it to go to like hidden camera mode but yeah 
Um, I'll I'll jump back and forth in my notes. I'm gonna hand over to our uh, hand it over to our guest for a little bit. Any particular talk of quality you wanna bring, or any particular section you wanna highlight in terms of good or bad, interesting to you, or what have you? Some of the things that he does uh, throughout all three series is that he'll try to focus occasionally on interesting little tourist tidbits. So they stop briefly by a spot in Taiwan and have uh, what is called coffin wood, which is a kind of, it's basically just like a chicken pot pie, but it's like stuffed inside a piece of toast. It looks like, so, like, like soggy bread. Yeah, sometimes they they shape the toast, you know, rectangular, so it looks a bit more like a coffin, but other times you can see other images where it's just a, it's a piece of toast where they cut like a flap in it and they, like a, 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 a bread bowl soup or something. And so stuff like that, you know, it's, it's, more like a travel show at times um you know it's like oh there's this interesting mm-hmm. temple here um and and here's the kind of backstory oh but suddenly our cinematographer was scared and he found a secret passage <laughs> you know and it's like wait why you know why should i believe you show me the actual scared cinematographer let me hear him speak you know it's just that the narrative kind of kind of takes over and and leads us to believe a certain thing that for me is not always believable. I mean, again, the images they're showing us, you know, the, these places I think are interesting, but the narrative is kind of, you know, leading me down certain places. They they interview like one guy, he's supposed to be able to talk to fairies or, or you know, spirits or celestial deities, immortals, whatever you want to call them. And he's on his way to maybe becoming one. He can see them or something. And he's apparently 102 years old. And yeah. maybe he is. He had a daughter when he was 82, and she's now 20. All right, let him speak. I want to hear, you know, I want to hear him speak more. Because at one point, I think they've got a foreign cinematographer, and he's like, you know, talking in, in somewhat limited English, but you can't hear him because Edwards Lee's narration is just like, you know, jabber jaws. He's just not, <laughs> not letting anybody speak. Um, I'm you know, the so, star. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, you know what? You know what? I, I want to talk briefly about. Um, uh, you mentioned the little thing that they eat, and uh, uh, Edward Lee actually um, ropes in an actress here, uh, Joyce Nye, for the Taiwan segment, and she is the co-star of uh, Ringo Lam's movie Esprit Amor, which they talk of here. They they talk of that uh, there were scary things that happened uh, during this uh, shoot. Uh, a lot of cinematographers were changed, a lot of directors were changed, which is kind of true because Ringo Lam actually replaced one director and finished that movie. It's Ringo Lam's first movie, Esprit Amor. And they talk of um, the fact that, and I, I really set that because now I can relate to it and also the subtitles aren't destroying everything for me for once. So they, they talk of uh, Ringo and crew brought uh, the negative to a temple or whatever to pray for a peaceful shoot. Again, I might have misunderstood this because it's, it's just Dum Dum and subtitles. That's the story of this uh, podcast, uh, Mr. Dum Dum and his subtitles. Uh, I think she talks of the fact that several ladies in the crew had miscarriages and what does Edward Lee do? He brushes that aside and say, let's eat now. Yeah. I was like, what the serious <laughs> fuck? You cold son of a bitch. No, no, number one. Number two, I want to hear that story. That sounds horrible. Like, Did that happen? No, we're two segments away from that story now. Okay. 
great yeah. like i was interested for like a minute and some bread soup exactly he's so cold like no 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 i i can't take this anymore <laughs> like miscarriages it, it, it doesn't <laughs> even say miscarriages in the subtitles but it's, it's her story a brief story before he fucking cut her off suggested that uh, there were some things whether that is true or not i don't know but she was in the movie it's her yeah, and he t- he touches on a couple other semi-celebrity folks. Um, they talk to a guy who I think is a supposedly the spiritual healer for Cripple Ho, you know, from the the real world crime boss who uh, gets notoriety in films like the Lee Rock films and more recently the uh, Chasing the Dragon film. Is it the it's the Ray Lois character from right. To Be Number One? Yes, yes. And and I guess the guy was in the spotlight because as the spiritual healer for Cripple Ho, he apparently made him better, but then he left and Cripple Ho died. <laughs> so they're like, what's up with that? There's also a section on breast enlargement, and they're talking a little bit about, it's kind of reminiscent of the Shocking Asia's sex change sequence, although I think this was completely staged um, because well. it did not look like they were actually doing anything. It didn't look like they were in a hospital <laughs> uh, or anything resembling a hospital. It's, it's a garage. <laughs> uh, it, that looked completely fake and staged. But they did, you know, they talked. They had some feng shui master, or 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 it was a doctor, or somebody talking about Amy Yip and where was hers real or fake, and why they were real, and you know, like, just places you don't think it's going to go. <laughs> well, it's a it's a subject you can't brush uh, brush aside because yes, the uh, the segment on. Uh, on uh, silicon boobies and all of that it's i, I guess it attempts to be educational but and to show some real footage uh, but, but yeah they do it uh off uh, not off camera but the camera doesn't catch it to do it on the other side of uh, the lady on on the table so uh they're miming surgery like i i would have fast forwarded at, at that point if we actually had surgery footage that that, that kind of gets me because it's um it's a little bit a little bit too real for me I kind of question whether that was a female or not, just because the narrator goes, believe it or not, this isn't a man. And I'm like, oh, I don't know now. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's not a guy. Like, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the most sensational sort of uh, imagery here for, for fans of Category 3 that we get is shots of uh, Amy Yip not doing Yip tease, but gladly. Yeah, I don't know about that. That was strange. No, I think that was a that was a a prop that she was wearing. It must have been because it looked like a plate of some kind uh, because yeah. it was paler. Uh, because <laughs> there was no way she would just casually uh, off camera have someone snap a physical photograph Nine of her. People around her, exactly looking <laughs> super happy because she, that that was never Amy's uh, aim to to do category three movies n- nude because uh, that's where Yip Tips Yip Tips comes from. I can't for the life of me think of what movie required that plate because that prop she, yeah because she she's there she's got the goods already so <laughs> i don't know but uh but yeah uh that, that, that's all when you oh hey amy i recognize that I, i've seen those sort of before now i'm getting a full view of them and they're probably not real and okay Fair enough. That, 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 that's a selling point for the promotion, I guess. But it, it, a lot gets lost on me in terms of the the person that then sits down and tries to illustrate uh, and argue whether her breasts were real or not. And I'm thinking to myself, did anyone ever question that? Because clearly she's had surgery. 
I might have misunderstood that too, because again, as the people keep talking, it's not very excitingly staged as a documentary either. So it can't, it, it sort of sometimes just comes off as people rattling off information, and then we're done. Uh, is there any charm to to the, uh, the the actual filmed reenactments of spooky things that might have happened to Joyce Nye uh, as she tries to look for a, a toilet in a haunted house? Is there any enjoyment to that, uh, Joshua? <laughs> Uh, none whatsoever. <laughs> it looks like something from a B horror film, you know, just a sequence that while she was shooting this film, she decided to go use the toilet in a haunted house that was, you know, dilapidated and looks like she could have fell through a floor. Like, why would she in the first place? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> that was a mind blowing uh, cutaway, I thought. I mean, maybe the, the technique is. Uh new for this and and the movie bringing this to movies was new to audiences so maybe these reenactments didn't feel like that hokey as such uh, and maybe they felt uh, scary because of the belief that people personally have uh, but 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 yeah it it, it looks it looks kind of it's also long uh, because she looks and looks and looks and looks and looks and then finds yeah. a toilet and then then like creepy sounds and what have you but but no it's not it's like lit very well but it's not made by a, uh, you know it's not uh, some crazy horror hong kong hijinks like amped uh, crazy hong kong hijinks here it's it's a little reenactment they get it over with and then then we 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 get we get on with it too just yeah. seems like filler though doesn't it you know of all the stories and things like that that are told in the film this is the one we're doing a long reenactment for you know it's all because of the actress i guess but i don't know yeah, it happens in two as well. A large section with uh, Lily Chung uh, is uh, with the not the Ouija board, but whatever you call it. Um, that that goes on for way too long as well. Uh, the only thing that uh, didn't sit well with me again, lacking full context because of presentation subtitles, but they uh, they feature an old lady that uses uh, exorcism methods. Uh, in her home uh, she uses you know holy water she does it over the phone as well apparently <laughs> uh, she uh, she can smell what ghost is and uh, she also can beat the spirits out of you and they bring in a child here and and, and this is very raw documentary footage which makes it look real yeah. they bring in a child that looks like uh, so, sorry if this is completely wrong and insensitive but he looks like he has uh, autism mm-hmm. I think he's got a bit more than that i think he's definitely a special needs child right and um the sequence that follows here is i mean might there might not be need for more detail but it's essentially to me it's child child abuse what goes what goes on here this is why it's on (laughs) this week in sleaze right found something (laughs) this this bought it this bought its one-way ticket to uh (laughs) the tidy whitey theater right here this is the scene yeah and i mean regardless if that is a believed technique i didn't need to see a, a child who clearly didn't know what was going on or had a choice in the matter uh be beaten and uh start crying in the process um yeah. you know so it, it didn't For sit a well long period of time too yeah yeah it's ah. rough just rough um not not pleasant to watch at all have you heard of anything akin to that in terms of that that's what people who believe in uh, exorcism techniques that, that they do and people bring bring their children or relatives who are sick to and, and go through things like that or that was news to you that someone considered that a, 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 a technique 
I don't have difficulty believing that there are people out there who buy in who, who would buy into that. And I think at a couple of shots, they like you know they they the camera pans to the mother, and you can tell she's clearly having reservations about what's going on. But I think she's probably looking for solutions too. And I do know people. I have friends who have special special needs children that were you know born in Hong Kong and even today. Support systems are not really there for parents. Um, if you have a special needs child, it's not like there's a lot of sympathy or a lot of social help. I mean, there is there's more now than there was before, certainly in in the 90s, right? So I think you know people would, you know, realistically turn to stuff like this if they felt there was a chance that it would help. Um, but I'm not a parent of that kid, and I wanted to reach through the screen and start smacking that lady. That's just me. I mean, to to see something like that, I think is is just uh, heartbreaking. And didn't feel like uh, staged and uh, uh, enacted at all. If you just transfer onto some minor notes of the second film, because it, it really is an extension of what we see here in terms of structure. Some similar subjects, I'm sure. Again, so much to remember. Better subtitles. This is from the cinema print, and the, the first one is from a DVD where they typed in subtitles, and I, and I think fucked them up even more than what was on the original cinema print. Because Supernormal 2, at least, it's cropped. It's not widescreen, but at least you can understand way more of it. Uh, Versus the first one. So, for instance, uh, Edward Lee brings back Joyce Nye here for the various Taiwanese segment, and they travel, travel together. And uh, and I guess uh, the, this one opens in a. If it's gonna shock, uh, then they might as well start from the get go and shock us with uh, with bloodshed. And uh, it's certainly how the movie ends as well, because we we get uh, various rituals. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, Again, I don't know this stuff, so I'm I'm not sure if they were acting as they were possessed by gods, and therefore they were cutting their tongues and piercing their ear lids and performing various rituals that uh, you know where they essentially uh, you know whip themselves and therefore uh, you know people bleed uh, bleed down their back because of that. But that all felt distinctly real, obviously not staged at all. And uh, um, but 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 I can't for the life of me, speak to you with authority in terms of what this sequence all meant, because it's still the, the documentary technique and the, and the way Edward Lee narrates, it's still a bit too dense and elusive for me to, to get the full context, but I appreciate it at least that it feels like a pure documentary, and not uh, this rapid back and forth between obvious stage stuff, a little bit of documentary, but he, in this movie, in Supernormal 2, there's distinctive sections where it goes on for long, where Edward Lee and crew captures, uh, you know, more expansive, uh, expansive sights and sounds. So whether you believe in them or not, so plus for the movie, I don't know. It, at least the documentary aspect came through. That's what I'm probably latching onto. So anything else you want to say about that, Joshua? Was it more coherent when you reached Supernormal Two, or there was still the same problems, or, or was it even, or was it more interesting as a movie? I thought that the second film uh, proved to be more of a, you know, as we mentioned, like a shockumentary style because of things like, you know, opening with like the characters engaging in self-flagellation and all that. But, you know, and then, of course, the psychic surgery towards the end it has a lull in the middle, as expected. Uh, and as far as like keeping up with it, uh, the subtitles, yeah, they were a little bit better when I could read them, but... 
you know, the cropping and also just the white on white issues that you often run into with these films throughout much of the film. I'm just, it's like reading half of a sentence and trying to gather what's going on. So, you know, similar situation of just like, yeah, I kind of get what's going on, but not really. It it keeps jumping between subjects too much again because uh, so some of them are genuinely interesting. Uh, they, they talk about uh, cleaning bones at uh, at one point and feature. They, they talk a little bit that about vamp- vampires, but I, I I think the presentation you just talked of makes this this a little bit too elusive to follow because I think it was presented well enough. Now we had a visual problem a, a little bit to get to get it all, but still the footage is a bit more compelling as captured and. Uh, and the topics are as well. Uh, I mean, even uh, when they get to uh, talking of uh, the placement of betting centers uh, where people go to bet on uh, horse racing and so forth, that is not disinteresting as such. But I would have liked a better examination. I would have want to watch a half an hour special on something like that, not crammed into one damn movie where Edward Lee and crew are so damn anxious to get it all out there. We gotta teach you everything. So that, that that's kind of a problem. So let, let's throw over to the Captain Kid. Uh, any notes in particular, Supernormal Two? Does it do things similarly and better, or is it uh, does it, is it played with the same problems as one? No, I think it's it's more of the same. They again bounce around between different locations with no real kind of stream of consciousness at all that connects these things. It's like you know, one minute they're in Taiwan, the next minute they're back in Hong Kong. Then they're back in Taiwan, then they jump over to Japan. And sometimes he's talking about something going on, but they're showing footage from another place. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, it's not, you catch up with yourself already. It's not, you know, we're, we're not there yet. And um, it's like that stupid scene in the Ruttles where Eric Idle appears. I'm here at the banks of London and he's at the Bank of London. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then cut to where he's supposed to be. But that, that's for, that's a parody. You know, there's there's a very brief scene where they talk about the a ghost tunnel in the second one, which is a bit the way they speak about it's a bit akin to like maybe a Bermuda Triangle kind of thing, where if you go in and you haven't properly prayed or paid homage before going in, you might lose some time, right? You might come out four hours later or something. And I was thinking about the film The Midnight After from a few years ago, which is you know that kind of premise, right? Where it's you know you you go into the tunnel and who knows where you end up afterwards but they only talk about that for like you know 15 seconds or 30 seconds and then they're already off to the to the next thing and 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 yet other things they like they spend an incredible amount of time with this woman who claims to be a fox spirit herself and they never show her face and that you know what that was so stupid stupid by the way because he says that she wants to appear anonymous we're not going to shoot her face but what is he saying to subtitles he sort of gives a little bit of clue to the hong kong audience it's like hey you you've probably seen her at this place praying to an her. altar. Yeah, you may yeah. know her. So, just so you know, uh, you can look her up. Essentially, you, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> what kind of anonymity is that, dude? And then they get into really weird territory, which is not unheard of for for these, especially in in some of the later series. They start talking about the appearance of UFOs in places, and they even bring on Leslie Chung's brother. Uh, to do a face reading of a drawn image of an alien. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Based on the fact that he has no eyebrow, bro, bro, he has no ambition in life. Okay. Uh, he has a thin upper lip. That means he's cruel. 
<laughs> I don't know. Did Leslie like his brother, <laughs> or did he like disown him or something? He had, you know, apparently he had like ten siblings, or, or he was—I don't know if he was the tenth or you know—he but he, he's got like a big batch of siblings, and so this is the one who went into face reading for alien fo- or drawings, right? Because it's not even a photograph; it's a and drawing. it's just it's... a little aside. It's not like yeah. uh, Edward sets up a lot for us to then absorb for 10-15 minutes. No, it's another example of, well, we might as well forget about that because we didn't spend any time on it. So, off to the next thing. Yeah, and it's it, it, looking at stuff like that, it makes me go back to the point that, you know, maybe he doesn't really buy into all this. Maybe he's just kind of pushing the envelope here with some really extreme stuff to say, you know, some of this stuff is really nonsense. It it doesn't appear that he do, he does appear genuinely interested and he believes uh, certain things. He goes to a healer of some kind that uh, uh, uses I think pressure points and something like that, and then really looks inter- looks on with an interested sense that that he believes that she cured his ailments. So, but he he I I never got the intention uh, sort of impression that this is how I'm positioning myself. It's just. Uh, we made this this way. I appear and I talk and uh, woohoo, money in the bank and let's go to Japan and meet the super famous actor and let's spend two minutes on that. You know, he meets Tetsuro Tamba, star of Free Outlaw Samurai. He's in a Bond movie. Uh, I want to say You Only Live Twice or Diamonds of Forever. I think it's You Only Live Twice, yeah. And apparently Tetsuro Tamba and I'm sure this is true, uh, became a devote something in terms of studying the afterlife. And Edward Lee, obviously, uh, now narration might have, might have to come to, into play because Tetsuro Tamba, English might not have been good for the interview or he spoke Japanese, but he still rattles off information. We see Tetsuro Tamba as a lecturer and then the thread is done in terms of that. And then we're, we're into the Lily Chung stage footage which I, I love lily chung she's the star of red to kill daughter of darkness you might have recognized oh, yeah. her joshua but i know it's not an ouija board but i have no other word for it that's they they uh yeah they have co- contact with a spirit and uh, use they use the plate and the plate goes to different letters on the on the circle there but that section goes on for way too long because it's a uh, mostly a staged film segment that's not scary and uh, it's rather dull actually so Joyce Nice toilet adventures in the first movies, like yeah, uh, you know, five out of five scary dairy stuff compared to this section. Well, it goes on forever too. I mean, it's nice to hear her in sing sound and all of that, and it seems like she has an interest in this, or has been told to act like she has an interest in act all of interested. this. Yeah, I don't know because we don't know. But um, I have no other notes. But I- I'm sure you guys. W- uh, want to talk a little bit about the, the extended section where we see the footage at the religious center where ill people turn to uh, healers and they, they go up on stage and they, they get healed, so to say. Uh, we, we've established earlier in the show the other discussion points that this, um, you know, you can argue in various directions if this is uh, true or false. But uh, at least, guys, this is captured. And Edward Lee, if I remember correctly, seems to shut the fuck up for a little bit and just observes uh, and we can make our determination. So maybe this is the section where he finally asks us, non-verbally, mind you, that just watch. And I saw this, but I'm not going to tell you 
yes or no in terms of my belief. So it's a raw section with, um, in my opinion, a lot of fakery. Um, but that's not the filmmakers. This is what they captured. This is the, the event that they captured. So any spontaneous notes, whether it's a well-captured, complete bullshit, or what do you think, Joshua? Also, one of those things I remember being exposed to as a, a young child, the psychic surgery phenomena. It was kind of a, a, a thing in the 80s and maybe the early 90s. But, you know, and, and I actually sent you, and we already mentioned the amazing Randy. Uh, I, I remember seeing him. I guess it was on The Tonight Show. That was, yeah, that was the clip I showed you. He went on there and performed the same type of, you know, procedure, you know, using your hand to go inside of someone and pull out, you know, cancer or what have you that somehow looks a lot like bacon, you know, wrapped in <laughs> fake blood. Uh, mm, bacon. Uh, been done. <laughs> mm, bacon. Go not. As Homer Simpson would also say, by the way, if looking at the supernormal, this movie is too complicated. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it, it had been done and uh it was popular probably at the time. Uh it's bullshit. <laughs> and the lady doing it's you know, full of bullshit and uh just the typical like showmanship, you know, I mean like, there's all kinds of like you, you look up these like televangelists and stuff like that that have been busted for similar things. You know, they, they I forget what the who the husband and wife uh was that were busted for camera movies that uh you know they they had the semi in the audience they're going around asking questions doing questionnaires getting information and then they would feed information to the preacher through a uh you know something in his ear and he'd be able to tell people you know about their disease or they'd have semi planted in the audience and have them come up on stage and you know at first they're in a wheelchair but oh now they can miraculously walk typical things like all you know all sleight of hand all just ways to get people's money and you're treated to a lot of this during the last act. It looks fairly raw. Uh, for, for a while, I didn't know. In, at the beginning of the sequence, well, uh, well, oh, it's going down those routes, okay. Because, but it still, it looks fairly raw because she she has this child sure, up on yeah. stage and like she starts ripping this boil off her face or this wound off her face, and maybe that that was all like a little piece of makeup and bacon, but. Still look fairly raw, uh, uh, but but after a while you realize that this is, and again I'm not judging the audience that are into this in, in the movie here and uh, what they gain out of it, uh, but uh, it's uh, it, it's a big old big old con in my eyes here. Interesting to see though because again it's captured, it's captured extensively, and you become interested in it, and then Edward does a little suture at the end and then his uh he left us with warmth and positivity after a, a little bloodbath towards the end <laughs> not yeah but not before going to like a children's hospital and watching a kid with hydrocephalus and and another kid with like who looks like either he has the worst case of bursitis I ever saw or possible tumors coming out of his leg that that was fucking odd i was reminded of uh children brain surgery for a minute there you know it is oddly, um, I mean, it, it's sad, obviously, for the children, but it, it was oddly inserted in terms of these poor children, and then then he shot it. And maybe, you know, maybe he attempted, like, well, we can't close our eyes to these things, and, and it's sad, and we wish the children the best, but it, appear, it appears so out of nowhere, like it's a late mission statement. 
Like if I didn't disturb you enough at this point, let me let me give this one last before I get out of here. Exactly. That's what it felt like. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna conclude my notes here. So before we move on to our Canton Kids uh, notes on uh, the Supernormal Free, uh, anything else you want to say about the Supernormal Two before we depart? Yeah, I mean, it, especially with this uh, the psychic surgery at the end of part two, uh, that's something that I think factors into I want to say Shocking Asia Two, if I remember correctly. Um, again, sort of another fantastical element that uh, they end up showing. And yeah, it's been, I think I may have seen the same debunking uh, that, uh, you know, Joshua saw back in the day, uh, because it's, once you know a little bit of sleight of hand, and you've got a little bit of a chicken gizzard or something, it's it's pretty easy to do. The thing that with the kids at the end, uh, you know, I was, again, exploitative kind of they don't they don't really talk to the kids at all they don't they just kind of show the footage and and then it's the question is is like okay why are these kids like this is this punishment for for something or you know is this to remind us of our own blessings and let's end with the great buddhist sutra again i think he he attempted something here but still it it comes right out of nowhere to uh to to feature these images combined with the message uh, which is why it's gonna be seen as more shocking than poignant and more exploitation style rather than poignancy the one thing that they do a couple times across both films and this is something that really carries over into the later things like the unbelievable in the cases is that when they focus on some of the ghostlier aspects of things you know it's like i think in the end of one they go off to a haunted house and they do a freeze frame on something. And he says, oh, can you see the ghost? If not, congratulations, you're 100% normal. If so, <laughs> congratulations, you're special. You know, it's like, it, that's the that's the trick, right? It's like it, the emperor's new clothes kind of thing. It's like, well, you, if you can't see it, you don't have ghost eye, which is good because you don't want ghost eye. But if you can, you know, then you're, you're, you're unique and you're special or something. And they do this in a couple places across both films. There's another one later where it's like, can you see like 16 faces here in this picture? No, I just see a bright light. I don't see 16 <laughs> faces. And, and, and But it's a common technique that they end up doing across a lot of these other shows where it's like, oh, there's something there. What's there? It's a shadow. It's It looks like, you know, it's a picture of Jesus and toast or something. I don't know. I don't know why that is such a common thing for them to do, but I think it's because they got nothing. They got nothing else to really do. And I guess, like you said, back in this period of time, they're shooting on film. It's a bit grainier. It's a bit more mysterious. It's kind of okay. But when these later films start to move into the realm of HD and video, it doesn't work anymore. It really doesn't. Um, And it just feels like old hat, unfortunately. Um, But I think overall, across both of the films, as I said, for me, there's, there's enough there of interest culturally, and in terms of, you know, location spotting and giving a bit of history on some things that if you filter out, you know, some of the the overuse of narration that uh, if you're somebody who likes that kind of stuff, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll glean something from it. So. so we haven't seen the Supernormal Free, me and Joshua, because uh, it's only uh, spinning, rolling in, uh, in Edward Lee's own theater. And who knows if it's going to get a distributor. But uh, Paul, as he went back to Hong Kong earlier in the year. I don't know, did you know he was playing or you just read that, oh, holy crap, I know where I'm going to go now. I'm going to add something to the itinerary. I knew when it was coming when it got released back earlier in the year. At that time, I wasn't sure 
when I, the next trip to Hong Kong was going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm missing this. I'm going to have to wait for video. Uh, and then I got to Hong Kong just through some circumstances that I won't go into. But they, you know, friend of mine said, hey, this is actually still playing in the cinema and you can go. And I went. <laughs> I was I was super excited. And the usher actually came in because I was the only one in the cinema <laughs> to make sure I was in the right place. Hey, Guaylo, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yep, got my ticket. I'm here. And he's, you know, like, gave me a thumbs up and want to meet that Woodley. <laughs> <laughs> he's upstairs you know and it's still playing at the time of this recording so As he um, did he learn his lesson in terms of uh, overcrowding the movie and um dear did he learn his lesson in terms of shutting up and letting the no. movie play no God absolutely not this can this although it's glossier and gleamier because of the hd and if you look at the trailer you can get a sense of that and he's older and a bit pudgier uh, and a bit grayer with what little hair he does have now he is still doing the same exact thing. It's the same exact format. But but because it's been such a long while, was it fresh to see it again or did it, was it immediately redundant? It was immediately redundant. One of the first things they talk about, Fox Spirits again. <laughs> uh, they're in Japan this time. And, you know, but of course he has to bring in a couple Japanese celebrities. He brings in two who are, they're all elderly celebrities and I could not jot their names down quick enough in my notes um, and I do apologize. I wasn't able to, to get them. But hey, the Edward, Edward, in, who were those people? Can you provide some notes for me? Voila. The third that he brings in uh, around the midway point is, of course, the well-known uh, Sonny Chiba, who is along for the ride. I, last person, if you had said, hey, Edward Lee is going to bring a Japanese celebrity into the Supernormal 3, who do you think it would be? Last person on my list would have been Sonny Chiba, but apparently he's got a spiritual side or they paid him enough to have one uh, to appear <laughs> in this film. And yeah, so he's there. And of course, this time, you know, Joyce Nye and um, uh, Lily Chung not available for this film. So he taps on some more recent talent, including the likes of Gregory Rivers, uh, Bob Lamb, uh, Elena Kong, uh, Jacqueline Chong, and they all tag along with him as he goes through Japan. Now, the thing that's a little bit different about this one is that there's a lot more of the travel tourism side of it. I mean, he still goes to temples. He still interviews some masters, even though he narrates over them, as can be expected. It's still got elements of the Shocking Asia kind of thing. He goes to this sex festival in Japan where it's all about phallic symbols, breasts and penises. And, you know, kids are they're buying like penis shaped popsicles and things. And so it's like supposed to be, I guess, for the non-Japanese person, this idea of the extreme, right, or the exotic or the other, even though it's happening within Asia. Um, but, you know, they're treating the content like that. There's that side of it. But a lot of it is the the actors kind of going through to different places in Japan almost like a travel show. And that really comes into play at the end in, in the credits, uh, which is which is unfortunate because that's when it looks like they're having fun. Uh, they're kind of joking around with each other and having fun in the, it's not really outtakes, it's just footage they didn't use. And that part is actually much more interesting than anything else in the film, which we don't actually see. Uh, there's a segment with Gregory Rivers where they interview him and he, he talks about all the dogs he lives with. 
he takes rescue animals in and, and, you know, he talks about his connection to them spiritually. But as with the style of, you know, the, the filmmaking that, that Edward Lee does, it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really connect to anything specifically. And it could have been interesting, you know, just as a more in-depth interview with him. Um, Bob Lamb gets scared in one sequence where they're, they don't do the, the Ouija cup now. They do a seance. And he just freaks out about something. I don't. I still don't understand what he freaked out about. He just felt weird. And then he talks about that weird feeling he got, um, you know, throughout uh, later parts of the movie. Um, Elena Kong has a funny sequence where she goes to an AV movie with a friend. I forget the actress friend she went with. And they go watch an AV movie in a theater that's only allows the elderly to go in, right? So there's an age limit. And it shows them sitting in the theater watching something. And there's, you know, some audio in the background. But again, this is a case of the the breast enlargement sequence where it's shot in such a way as like, are they really in an AV theater or are they just sitting in any theater? Because we never know what they're actually watching. And they're kind of giggling like schoolgirls and reacting to stuff on screen. So it's a lot of the same kind of beats that, you know, we've seen in the first two films done here again. And it's updated, but it's not. Um, There's a new ghost segment where they go to this cave. And of course, now they're using high definition digital video. And so what we end up seeing are these little flecks of light, right, Um, that that are caught by the high definition video, which if you ask me, are dust particles floating in the air that's what they look like but he's telling us that these are the souls of spirits that are hovering around us every day is he is he into it or is it at does it come with any sense of winking or is it still as no it's still as kind of straightforward as as the other two the interesting thing is is that now in today's era because you have so many programs out there that are focused purely on travel and entertainment and uh, leisure and going to visit sites that are off the beaten path for tourism and things like that. Um, and you have lots of people. I mean, Dudu Cheng has a very popular series where she goes to Japan and, and other parts of Asia and travels and shops and goes to interesting places. There's so many people doing this kind of thing that because he's still stuck with this older format, it just doesn't really play off as well as I think the older films do. The older films kind of have this place of nostalgia because of the time period they're in and because of the way they're filmed on traditional film stock. Whereas now it's like you kind of haven't, you know, caught up with the times, you know. Um, There's other stuff doing what you're doing that's more interesting for one side of it. And the other side of it is kind of not working because of the technology. Yeah, it would have been different if uh, the format was updated and there, there was some new beats to follow and absorb, or, uh, despite the filming technique. But it, if you if you go on repeat, then uh, then that's not encouraging uh, as such. The subtitles are better, so it's got that. <laughs> well, I'm glad they had subtitles uh, for one, so uh, they didn't exclude uh, the one uh, curious uh, Westerner that uh, wanted in there, so cool that you got to go to the source the almost a filmmaking source if you will yes indeed 
Uh, cool. Well, uh, as for availability of uh, Supernormal 1 and 2, uh, the, the Hong Kong DVD options uh, seems to be unavailable for the moment. Uh, the first one was part of the Joy Sales Legendary Collection range, and the second was put out by Wide Sight, but uh, they, they don't seem to be in stock currently. And the third has no disc option as of yet. Uh, you, you, you haven't seen any announcement in terms of that, right? Not yet, no. That's us. Uh, any parting words, uh, Joshua? Cu- curious to uh, complete the trilogy, the Supernormal trilogy, or we'll leave it at two? I'd be down to watch it. I'm a completist. I, I wouldn't mind checking it out. Uh, be bored to tears, you know? <laughs> well, it'll be the first one where you can read the subtitles clearly. Oh my god. Because nowadays, even if they do burn in subtitles, they, they, they are from like an external source. So they place like a digi- like, sure. like, like digital subtitles, even if they are permanent. So uh, they make them readable with contrasts and things like that. So it's going to work out when we get to it, I guess. Uh, at, at any rate, uh, thank you very, very much for the context you, you brought to us, esteemed guest. That's, uh, we're not going to reveal uh, who his actual name is. But uh, thank you very much for Canton Kid for the excellent context because it, it elevates a discussion you, Joshua and I wouldn't have been able to have and achieve uh, you know, the level that you brought there. We wouldn't have been able to achieve that. So thank you very much for bringing that uh, context. Indeed, and thank you for guys for having me on and putting up with all my rambling nonsense. Clean, clean, nice and clean show to uh, to introduce you to uh, the to the this week in Slee sort of a hole that we're in here. So um, uh, we uh, will we, we'll include you on the mindfuck commentary then. So <laughs> <laughs> I think there's quite a few films I need to work through before I get to that one. Well, well, you you can get you can get Ghoul Sex Squad first. You know the the hopping vampires having sex with each other, and then if you Good, good with that. Then mindfuck is next. So, uh, <laughs> all the stuff we do over on this show. But uh, we're gonna sign off for now for all your podcast on fire network needs, including the back catalog for this weekend's lease. Uh, it's available on podcastonfire.com. All the relevant links are available in the show post, uh, including uh, trailers to Supernormal Free and our various social media links, including to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and so forth. The podcast that you know of, the Canton Kid, wanna give that a shout again. <laughs> yeah, check out East Screen, West Screen with uh, the Internet's own Kevin Ma and some other guy and, uh, you know, give it a listen. Cool. And uh, that's it. I have no sign off in terms of let's stop the fucking because there, there were too many elements to gather into one sort of like nice and uh, I know what I'm going to say at the end here. So let's just just stop making the fucking super normal films. Edward Lee, I guess that's that's the lesson of it all. <laughs> We'll update your formula, man. But uh, good luck with your cinema. It sounds like a fun endeavor to uh, to, uh, to own your cinema. So that's uh, you, you're still with us. So ex- expand your creativity. Uh, so so yes. But uh, as we said, we'll be here for Supernormal Free if we, if we can get it on disc. I, I think it's worth uh, an examination, even if uh, it's the same old, same old. So that's us. But uh, I've been uh, Lisa Gay. With me was the great Lord Joshua Regal. So say goodbye, buddy. Goodbye, buddy. And also the Canton Kid, our esteemed guest. Sayonara. And thanks for listening, people. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs>